that cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the Rock Andor Roll, I'm BJ, and continuing the Power Pop series on today's episode, I have for you a conversation I had with Bob Gifford from the Boston band The Rings. They released two albums in 1981. Both of their albums came out in 1981 a self titled album and then an album called The Rhythm Method. So, this is another one of those tales of experiences in the music industry. A good band with good songs that, for whatever reason, never broke through. But at least we still have the records to listen to. Uh, at one point, talking around 1976 or so, when uh, a bunch of us, as is a college, college town, and a lot of a lot of young people, 
we we rented a, a big house, a big Victorian in uh, this neighborhood outside of Boston. Anyway, it was, uh, and uh, rents were at that point rents were sane. Uh, this is like long ago and far away when you right. could actually, you know, <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, but that's um, there were uh, this this house where we lived. There were a number of uh, uh, actors, artists, uh, musicians uh, that lived that lived here. And um, I had been working. Uh, I'd been working in film, and um, I had just I really uh, when we when we moved into this house. Um, I had, uh, just finished, finished uh, this work on a movie and, uh, uh, one of the roommates was, um, uh, Mark Sutton, who, uh, later became a guitarist in the rings. But we, uh, we just basically started, uh, you know, uh, just sort of playing, playing music, uh, just, you know, in, in the living room, uh, around this around 1976. And Mark and I just, uh, we sort of hit it off, uh, song wise. He went to Berkeley as well as, uh, Mike Baker, um, they, a couple of years anyway, our first drummer, Robert Woodbury, um, known, known as, uh, known as Woody, but, uh, Robert Woodbury. Yeah. Uh, was his, was his name. And he was the, uh, first drummer for, I think it was about the first year, but I'm sort of jumping ahead anyway, not to get too ancient, but you know, that's basically how Mark and I just started collaborating, um, you know, playing, playing around with music, but it was not, it was nothing more than that at the time. But it started getting a little bit of cohesion. I was uh, what I like to call a, a bad guitar player uh, at the time. <laughs> not not bad meaning good. Bad meaning I was never going to be uh, great. You know, I, I played for a while. And, uh, always, in, you know, involved in uh, like in theater and film and in writing. So I was writing a lot of music. I wrote a lot of poetry. I wrote a lot of music. And uh, it was great working with Mark because he had he was very, very musical. So we, we worked really well in putting a, a bunch of songs together early. And um, then he said, basically, just for grins, he was going to call up his friend Michael. That's Mike Baker, who's um, now in uh, Nashville, uh, working as a producer in Nashville and has been for a number of years. So he came over and we just sort of uh, collaborated. And it really, it was, it was, it just sort of just got a little bit of traction just because of the, the fact that it was working. Uh, which always amazes me uh, about about bands and musicians in general, because you think of the hundreds of thousands of musicians that are out there, and who actually gets to uh, you know record and gets gets in front of people and it gets to make a living at it is a a very small number indeed, you know, yeah. as opposed to you know being able to make a living at it. But anyway, there it, it basically you know there was there was some there was something there we weren't sure what it was. Um, but it was just uh, we were having fun. So Mike brought in a, a whole different feel to it. He was definitely exploring a lot of uh, sky and reggae at that time. So we just we actually just started uh, assembling some songs, and it was uh, it was with no plans whatsoever. But we had a basement, and so um, they knew they knew this um, uh, drummer from Berkeley when they had been there. So that was uh, Robert Woodbury. So anyway, he came over. And so it was really, it was not like, okay, now we're forming a band. It was just, um, I can't speak to how uh, other bands form, uh, you know, but it's it's pretty much the same way. A lot of times it's a, you know, it's a friend sort of thing, unless there's somebody coming in with, you know, tons of money and putting together a band, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's usually, it's usually network who you, who you know. So we just, uh, we just started writing and, and re- rehearsing and playing 
And we did that for about seven months, eight months, just writing, writing music and pretty much playing uh, music that we, we wanted to hear, music for ourselves. And um, it, it was definitely, uh, it was becoming cohesive and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And people were our extended friends and families were saying, you know, giving us the nod, yeah, there's definitely something there. And of course they would, right? They're your friends and family. So we, uh, we started, uh, started working at it. And at the time, we, uh, Michael was writing, Mark was writing music, and I was writing music. But we really, we were saying, well, I, I think we probably need a probably need a lead singer, you know. Well, just because we thought we did, we hadn't really thought about singing, you know, how how to, and we thought, you know, having a lead singer would sort of, uh, you know, just sort of uh, not neutralize them, just make it cons- a consistency, I guess, from the different writers, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we had different writers, we were figuring, you know, at that time, there there were very few bands that had multiple singers in it, unless they were known. Uh, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and you know harmonic bands, and you know later on the the Cars, R- Rick Ocasek and you know Ben Orr would switch off, but their voices uh, in the production sounded so similar. You almost half the time people thought it was just, you know they they were never quite sure who was singing anyway. So um, that was not that was not our problem. So anyway, we 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 uh, auditioned about seven different singers, and uh, we just it just wasn't happening. So uh, we basically said, um, we're not gaining anything here. You know, we're, this is just sounding worse. So we, we made a decision um, that we would, uh, we would sing and that uh, basically people would perform their own music. Um, you know, so I wrote a song. For the most part, I would probably sing the song, mm-hmm. although a couple of times that didn't change. Same thing with Michael. Same thing with, uh, same thing with Mark. And that's pretty much how we started... Uh, uh, and it, it was a little, a little quirky um, having three three different singers. Um, it was a bit unusual. I, I, we liked it, and it seemed seemed to seemed to work for us. And later on, when we were talking with people, we didn't hear anything from management or other people saying, "No, you've got to you got to decide on one singer or this singer." So it, it seemed, you know, it, that seemed to be our gestalt, if you would. Anyway, we started we started uh, playing the way you did in Boston at that time when you finally. Uh, stuck your neck out and decided to, uh, uh, to go play out. This is not a cover band, of course. You know, we're writing our own stuff. I think we had a few covers at the time, but basically writing your own music. There was a pretty pretty uh, healthy music scene that was in existence and continued to grow for about another 10 or 12 years, at least while, while I was involved in it. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... Um, and, it was very, very vibrant, but basically the way it started, uh, when you were, you were first uh, appearing, you were, um, you know, there are, there are people way ahead of you, you know, so there are people that have been playing years before you, and even on this circuit, there are people that have been out for, for a while, and I'm basically talking like the, the sort of the punk rock and roll new wave at the time is a lot of some of the phrases that people were using. Places around Boston, um, a lot of clubs have, have come and gone. I think my first appearance was actually at a loft, which is really popular. There are like a lot of uh, loft concerts and uh, yeah, just a lot of lofts. Uh, again, that's, that's changed now. There's, there's not a lot of lofts, but there used to be lots of uh, artists and uh, musicians that, uh, and there was tons and tons of space uh, available um, right. for, for people to rent at that time. 
I mean, when I was finishing up this movie I was talking about earlier, I just put an, an ad in the paper and I said, uh, I needed a space. Um, don't have any money, but we'll help to, to, to fix it up. Uh, need 2000 square footage. And uh, you know, I got a phone call. Yeah, we've got a spare room, <laughs> the spare room being 80 by, you know, 150 feet. <laughs> and you know, and then this, these two women, um, um, were among 12 people that we met that had 10 different lofts in the, in the South end. I think they had 10,000 square feet. Someone else had 15,000 square feet. They were just huge warehouses. Yeah. I mean, people were riding their bikes around in these places. They had huge lofts that were floating and there were people were doing installations and sculptures. It was because of that, because of how cheap it was, um, it really affected the the art scene because there was space to work in, you know, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of room room for a lot of collaboration. So a really pretty vibrant scene. So we, we I think that's where we first played was uh, a place called the Star Systems Loft. And I think at the time we actually, the first time we played, we came out as the Rings of Saturn. Right. <laughs> I think that's, we need to have a name. Okay. A friend of mine said, well, oh, the Rings of Saturn. I said, okay. So anyway, we, we, uh, Showing that to the rings afterwards, but we started playing um, the way you would when you hit that circuit. You'd play like a Monday night or a Tuesday night, the, the really slow nights of the of the week. Eventually, if you were uh, any good or got any purchase, or I think more importantly to the club owners, if you had a following, uh, I don't think they particularly cared if you you know how how good you were if you had a mass following coming in and uh, buying beer. I think they were more than happy to book you. I'm, I'm not saying that there wasn't quality involved, but uh, I don't know, about six or seven months out, we finally were starting to play some, play some weekends. Um, and at the, at the time, as I said, I started out by saying I played, uh, um, <clears throat> I did not, I did not play bass. Um, I played uh, very bad guitar, but that was part of what was going on in the, in the basement. Um, I was learning, learning to play bass and and sing I, I knew how to how to play guitar and sing but um bass is a little bit different a little bit different instrument it's a little bit uh at least for me it was it was um it was interesting in that i like i said i had been a, a self-taught musician but now i had a couple of people from uh from berkeley and they they really sort of speeded up that process you know uh like a lot of the bad habits that you, you get when you're self-taught i didn't i didn't learn those Cutting, cutting to the chase. What, what kind of amazes me about this whole thing is that um, it, it seemed, it seemed to work, seemed to work really well. Uh, different singers seemed to work uh, really well, and we we're writing a, a lot of music. They were sort of in, in very different veins. You know, Mark wrote a lot of um, kind of like traditional sort of rock and roll. Mike was experimenting with like a, a lot of ska and reggae sort of stuff, and. I was just more um, writing uh, like mood pieces and character pieces. I, I kept thinking of the the music more as as poetry. So we're sort of pulling in in three different directions, but at the same time, you, you know, changing where we are at um, because you you know you you you're just naturally going to get a consistency if you have any three or four musicians that there are, that you trying to develop a sound, no matter what type of music you're playing. And so that was evolving at the time. And I think after we'd been out playing about a year, we, we weren't quite happy with the, the, uh, the drive of the music. We, we wanted it to be a little bit more 
I don't want to say hardcore. I'm not even sure how to articulate it. But we were looking for, we were thinking about the idea of, of, of changing changing uh, drummers uh, to have a different feel. Um, obviously, if you, you've listened to a, a lot of music, and drummers definitely can definitely can uh, affect you know the whole the whole approach i guess someone would say any any player in but uh we anyway it was something we're, we're thinking about and um we decided to uh change drummers and go for someone uh, uh that was a uh, or look for someone i should say uh that was just a little bit more uh uh, uh just um wasn't so much the timing uh, uh bob Bray's timing was uh, was immaculate um, but it was just most of, I think it was the approach to uh, to drums and percussion. And anyway, so we started auditioning uh, drummers, and I think we auditioned uh, probably 14 different drummers. And um, then uh, Matt Thurber came in. It was just, he said, you know, that's it. That's, a, that's you know, um, that's, our, uh, that's our new drummer. Uh, so... It was just, uh, you know, we just just sort of all knew it. Just really a lot, a lot of it coalesced. We came together. Then we were working with Maddie, and again continuing to to play out. And I think it was about. I'm trying to get my timeline right. I, I think it was about maybe a year and a half, just under two years um, of being out in the clubs, and we were um, uh, approached um, before that by a management company. Uh, which we signed to, and I think within within for us within two years we were uh, signed to uh, at that time was a, a a major label, which again at that time was a a, a uh, I'm doing air quotes a big deal um, yeah. at the time. That's one side of the story. Um, it's a it's a totally different world now, um, and I'm I'm actually uh, I'm glad of it. I think a lot of power now resides with the musicians. I think they have a lot more control over our, you know, production. Um, anyone, you know, can, can take some online courses and, and set yourself up with a decent computer and a couple of hard drives. You can create state of the art music, um, you know, in your, in your home studio. Yeah. It might take a lot more time, but it's, uh, you, you have the means and, and people didn't have the means, uh, you know, to, the idea of setting yourself up with a, um, you know, a, a tape, a tape uh, system or a tape uh, studio. Uh, you know, you're looking at fifteen, twenty thousand dollars or or more. Um, and people I knew, you know, there are a few people with trust funds that might have done that. And interestingly enough, we met a couple of them, and they were forever in their studio. They never even got out of the studio. They never got out to play, but they were in their studio for years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's you know. But now um, it, it's 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 very different, and um, you don't necessarily need a, a management company to uh, uh, be your you know you know to break through the gate. And there are a lot there are a lot of gatekeepers at the time. And basically, you know, if this person didn't like you, there was just a tremendous amount of control uh, over the ebb and flow of music. You know, a lot of a lot of people were churned up in that, and that and that's the part that uh, I I really disliked about the. The music industry um, was just how, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was like uh, here today, gone tomorrow, new talent. Um, we And even at the time that we're coming in, um, they used to, 
be a thing. Uh, I don't know if it's an official term, but it was like a, like a three album groom. And um, you know, I guess in the seventies, a, a lot of bands when you got signed to a label, you just assumed that you were pretty much, unless you just totally, um, you know, or or, or god awful. Usually, you'd get three albums out of the deal, and it'd be like your you know your your freshman effort. And then your second album would be better, and then hopefully they you put you over by the by the third album. But of course, you got experience in recording, experience in playing live, building a fan base, all of that stuff, touring with other, uh, uh, you know, getting exposure. Um, but you, but you had the time to do that. You had the time to grow, um, to grow and to uh, you know expand your wings and uh, get people to know you and and have the support of the record company. By the time we were out. Um, we released two albums and they were both in the same year. I think they were both in 81. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, it, the, the whole thinking was like, well, we're going to put this album out and yes, we, uh, we just signed a, a multi-million dollar five-year program, uh, five-year contract with you. Um, and we can ask for an extra album, uh, every year if we want. So it could be up to, or oh, I think it was two live albums a year. So it could be a total of seven albums. So we're talking about all the stuff that could be, but in reality, uh, they were throwing some money at it, and if if they didn't get a, a some big return for their for the first uh, you know your freshman effort out, he's like, oh, okay, well let's just go look for another band. And <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not saying every label was doing that or every management company was doing that, but it was happening a lot. It's kind of it's kind of unfair uh, to do that. I shouldn't even use the word fair. Why am I using fair in the, in the, uh, you know, uh, what's fair, what's not fair. But, uh, I, I should say that that was the precedent at that time. That was sort of what was happening. And, um, at that point when we were out, it was not, it became, that was changing, you know, that sort of thing was changing. So it was sort of, uh, and there was so, there were, there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of bands, you know, trying to get signed and out there, there was, there was lots of competition. So rather than, I, I guess, I don't, I can't say what the thinking was, but it seemed to be, they ju- just signed as many, uh, signed as many bands as they can. And, uh, all, you know, labels were doing that. And if they made it on the first one, great. We'd put, we'll put our money there. But if they didn't, it was just a different way of thinking about things. Now, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands, you know, uh, have made it and continued to work with without getting a major le- major deal, le- um, a major record label deal. And I'm not saying you have to do that or that that's any sign of success. I'm just talking about you know my experience uh, and what happened at the time.
were very, very excited um, to uh, do our first album. Uh, we went to New York City, and um, my uh, one of my favorite guitarists of all time was uh, Jimi Hendrix, and so um, we we got to record at a, a, a Electric Ladyland. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is like, this is like a dream. This is just, this is just very dreamlike. You know, very a lot, a lot of. I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, I was just so many, so many times it was kind of like, is this, you know, not is this real? I know it was real, but I can't believe this. This is, it was like, this is great. This is great. You know, what do you mean we're, we're getting signed to it? <laughs> you know, this, it was um, a little bit of naivete on my, uh, my part or something, but I was, uh, I was just uh, a lot of joy. It was very, very exciting. Um, I was definitely enjoying um, the, the whole process and all the uh, the things that were going on. I, lo- I loved playing live. Um, I loved the uh, <clears throat> I loved uh, creating music. I loved working with a, a bunch of uh, musicians. Uh, it was just uh, every every night was, was very very uh, exciting, and there was there was some drags too. You know, hauling your own gear. And I remember driving back with four musicians and all of our and all of our uh, and all of our equipment. Uh, on top of a roof, in a trunk, and in inside with us, as well as the driver in a small uh, two-seater sedan. You know, just <laughs> right. you know, yeah. We're up there. It's like where, where's 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 the guys coming to pick us up? Uh, they they blew us off. You know, how are we going to get home? You know, that sort of thing uh, happening <laughs> happening a few times when you're first taking these gigs because you want to you want to get out there, you want to play anywhere. Well, where's where's this place? Oh well, it's you know there's going to be some people there. Be fine, yeah, but it seems really sketchy. Oh well, you know any audience is better than no audience. And but anyway, I'm now I'm jumping back and forth. I, I, when we were first playing out, when I was talking, you know, when you're when you're first getting out there, at least on a I should say a, original playing original music, uh, it's not going to be the 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 big drinking clubs. You're looking for top forty, or you know you're going to be in. Uh, sort of art clubs or, you know, like the, the Rascal or the Rad or experimental places or whatever, whatever. Um, and a lot, a lot of times on a Monday night, you know, your audience was a couple of, a uh, couple of your fans and sometimes it was the other band watching you, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was just like, it was, it was pretty, it could be really pretty slim pickings, but like anything, you know, you, you, you do it, you get better at it. And, um, you know, you you learn. You keep doing it. You learn what works and what doesn't work, and hopefully you uh, can can improve on that. But we finally uh, got uh, you know got the deal, got signed, and got to uh, go to Electric Lady uh, uh, and Studios. And um, we had a producer, the record company. Um, we we gave them four four or five the names of four or five producers that we wanted. And it was kind of funny. He said, oh, well, we, we can't get a hold of them. We said, oh, really? And we just made a phone call and actually were connected directly to one of the producers. Well, I guess you didn't try too hard. Uh, maybe you should have redialed his number. But anyway, they they insisted that they had a producer that uh, uh, the label wanted us to use. And we met met with this person and uh, weren't particularly enthralled by them. Um, but we, you know, again, at the time, you have a management company, you have a label, they're telling you this, we know what's best. We said, okay, but uh, we had, you know, we had our had our doubts. We had a meeting 
with our, our managers and with this producer and the producer's girlfriend. I think we met out at an airport and had dinner. And we're talking about it. And he's basically uh, uh, said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about, you know, our approach and what we what we wanted to do. And basically, he was just uh, sort of yesing us and the uh, and the uh, our manager to death. Yeah, 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 that's fine. That's fine. And when we finally got there, um, completely just threw out everything we talked. He said, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way. We're going to record. Uh, we're going to record live. This is the way I always do it. it. You know, it was just the antithesis of what we had talked and discussed about. So, it really felt like a big bait and switch. You know, uh, we were protesting at the time uh, to our manager and saying, I, "I don't know about this. This is, you know, we had other producers that we wanted, and you, you know, you between you and the record company, you said this is the guy." So, um, anyway, we sort of went with the person. Uh, we recorded for two weeks and finally we called up our manager and he said, you better get down here. He goes, what's the problem? Just get down here. What's the problem? Just get down here. And we hung up on him <laughs> and, uh, they were in Boston. So they came down to New York city and, uh, what's going on? What's going on? Listen, we want you to listen to you know, what's been going on. And, uh, they, they, they the big two inch tapes. They just put them up and played them. We were just uh, really at odds with the producer at this point. It was just like uh, he didn't think much of us, and we really didn't think much of him. And um, we, okay, you know, you, you guys, you guys signed us. Call the manager. Wouldn't tell him why. Just come down and you know, you you, you listen to it. Uh, got through listening to the recordings, and he just like looked up at us. He goes, "That's not, that's not, that's not my band." He's like, uh, "No, no, it's not." So we had to pay the guy off to break the contract and we didn't really want him in the first place. And so now we're here and, uh, you, you know, you only have so much for, for, for a budget. And he said, what are we going to do? He said, well, we're going to, uh, we done, we done a, a bunch of recording, uh, with studios doing demos for the last, uh, two years at this point. And we had a couple of really good engineers, people behind the board running things. And, um, we got along really well with them, so we said, "Well, uh, we're going to produce it." And so it was kind of like the manager really couldn't say anything uh, at this time because they, you know, it, it's sort of what it developed. Um, and so anyway, they went with it, which is how we ended up producing our first album, which is kind of an unusual thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I'd I'd rather have uh, had, rather have had one of the producers that we wanted, but. Who were some of the producers that you wanted? Well, at the time, we were uh, very interested in um, uh, the person working with uh, uh, Tom Petty. Of course, uh, we would have loved to have had Roy Thomas Baker, uh, but <laughs> yeah. fresh from Queen and the Cars and stuff. But that was a we were we we're looking for uh, you know a different a different sonic quality. We loved the uh, at the time we loved the uh, you know the Roxy Music production and you know, but again. Uh, it really, you know, it depends what, what kind of, you know, what kind of traction, I guess, what also what kind of connections your, your management and, you know, it, it all comes down to like networking and who, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't really, I don't have like the, the list in list in front of me. Right. Um, and this is really something that, um, uh, both Michael, uh, who's, like I said, is now a producer in Nashville is really, um, his uh, area of expertise. 
So we sort of would, you know, default to one of the other us, wherever we sort of play to our strengths at the time. And so we had, we had mentioned a few people, and, uh, but Michael was actually uh, in, in touch with them. But anyway, uh, that didn't happen. So we ended up, uh, and I, I, think the, I think the record, is, you know, um, is, is good. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's gr- great, um, but a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people really liked it. I think I just uh, would have liked a little bit more of a, a seasoned veterans polished on a few things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was still uh, just absolutely uh, gobsmacked, you know, to, to, to have an album out when it came out. And, and it did, it did okay. Um, I think uh, we had a couple of, couple of singles out there. I think uh, "Let Me Go" was the uh, the big single that they were that they were pushing. look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And once again, that's not necessarily what the band would have pushed, but this is the sort of sort of dynamics you get when you when you start having a, a record company and a manager and this and that. And, um, yeah. You know, I, I, I guess I guess that can work, um, but I've sort of found that sometimes things get kind of muddy when you have a lot of different a lot of different people. I'd kind of like rather defer to someone that can sort of play lead, you know, be lead on something, whatever it is. Like mixing, for example, uh, a great example, mixing by committee. You have a number of people trying to be at a mixing board, mixing at the same time. Uh, really doesn't really doesn't work. You'll get a, a feeling for this uh, when you're in the recording studio and you're laying down basic tracks. You'll be wearing headphones if you're trying to get the basics. And basically, so the you know I'll be playing 
bass and Mike would be playing rhythm and Mark would be playing uh, rhythm and lead. Natty's playing drums. But what we're really trying to get is a great drum track. Um, we're going to we're going to do the bass over. We're going to do the guitars over. Um, but what we're really looking for is that great that great take uh, for the drums, you know, uh, really, really good performance. Um, and that's what we're looking for. And then we'll just we'll just, uh, you know, re-record, you know, re-record. Um, the the other pieces now, obviously if there's something that's really good you'll you'll keep it for bits and pieces but basically you're going to do it in a layered sort of form not a not a live you know we're not recording everything and playing live uh we're going to be doing it in in uh, a series of stages mm-hmm. so um that's the setup so then you'll go to the various musicians and they're setting up a, a mix in their headphones right so uh you know, the mix that I'm going to want and will want to hear is going to be very different than what the drummer's going to need to hear, which is going to be than what the guitarist wants to hear, uh, and which is going to be different than the other guitarist wants to hear. And so you can sort of take that. It's like, well, okay, so now we're going to mix our mix our songs uh, by committee, uh, and that's that's a really really hard hard thing to hard thing to do. I'd say I'd say that was sort of the only uh, issue. Um, that we sort of had uh, being self-produced. But typically, you know, if you had a single producer working with an engineer, um, you wouldn't be dealing with those, you know, those different issues and what people wanted. So that made for, I think that that made for, uh, I don't know if it compromised the sound, but it, it's, it's definitely you're going to get a different result than if you'd had a single person with total control over something, of course, you know. Right, right. But anyway, uh, be that uh, be that as it may, uh, we did go out and, and, and tour a few times. Never really uh, a, a lot of a lot of bands uh, will hook up with a, a, a major act, and you know go go along for the ride as the opener. And uh, we we really didn't uh, do that. We were do uh, we went out to L.A., uh, flew out to L.A. and did uh, a number of shows out there um, in Tucson, Arizona, California. Then we came back here and basically toured uh, uh, up and down the East Coast, you know, as far, I think we got as far, you know, maybe uh, Pennsylvania. Um, so New England uh, to Pennsylvania, that whole area. And uh, a lot of that was, um, we headlight, headlined uh, where we could, but we'd also uh, did a lot of opening for, you know, different bands, which was, which was great. Uh, we opened for the Pretenders. We played with the, the Motels. Jim Carroll, um, Ian Hunter from Mott the Hoople. Uh, that was in Boston. That was great. But we opened up for uh, yeah, Blue Oyster Cult, which was uh-huh. which was uh, kind of a kind of a strange uh, a strange mixture because they had like a very very hardcore uh, following, and again we were sort of under that you know. You know, labels are deceptive, but the new wave slash punk new wave, I guess, you know. And so, uh, as as is typical for any opening act uh, in a big for a big arena band, it, it, it was it was interesting, shall we say? They, you know, they basically just get off the stage, but um, <laughs> um, and uh, whipping whipping quarters, quarters are coming, you know, whistling through the air like clunking against your guitar and stuff. It's just like Hey, you don't even know me, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it was still, it was still a trip. It was still, it was still a lot of fun. Probably one of the best shows we did was uh, opening, opening up for the uh, the Cars, 
um, just because it, it finally dawned on us that um, we, we weren't playing in the clubs anymore. Um, the cars did a really great thing. Uh, they did a lot of great stuff for local musicians. They played three nights at the music hall, which was a medium-sized hall. I didn't, I, I, maybe six, 7,000, I could be wrong, Cedar, uh, one of those big old theaters that were in downtown Boston at the time. And um, they had three local bands on three consecutive nights open up for them. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, they they were really taking off. I think uh, um, they were getting ready to do their second album, but their first album was just you know, exploding. I don't know how many hits were on that thing, but yeah. I'm, almost every song was a hit, it seemed, yeah. or a single. Um, but they had uh, Robin Lane and the Chartbusters opened up uh, for a night. Um, City Thrills uh, opened up a, 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 for them another night. And uh, uh, the Rings opened up... Uh, uh, I think the, the the third night, or the, the last night they that they played, and that was just uh, that was just uh, a, a amazing uh, a big a big thrill. I remember it was the first time uh, I think it was the first time we played a, a, a hall that large. You know, just simple things come back to you, like uh, you know this uh, union, <laughs> the union guy coming out with uh, with like a meter tester on. And he said, uh, "Step away from the mic." And, you know, and he, he runs runs a, an electronic lead on your guitar and one over the microphone uh, to make sure that you're going to blow your head off, make sure that you're grounded properly. It's like, oh, that's interesting. That's, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's, uh, you know, and I remember looking, uh, being being on the stage and just looking out and uh, that was, that was what I'm saying. I, like that's why I talk about na- being a naivete. I was just, I had I, a lot of this. I just had this amazing sense of wonder. I can't believe this is happening. I was really, really enjoying the ride. And I remember standing on the stage when we were doing sound check at the music hall and just having this uh, feeling not of because uh, you're up on the stage and the the, the, the wings, the stairs are going off into off into space there. And no one's in there yet, but you, you can see the dimensions of the space. And uh, it was almost a feeling that I was not falling off the stage, but that I was falling up. Um, it's kind of like being out in big sky country, the same sort of feeling. I said, this, this is, is huge, the, the size of it. And, I was, and, and, you know, then you're sort of dealing with, um, I don't know, stage fright or let's just say, you know, you've got, you've got some nervous energy, you know? Sure, yeah. And, uh, but I still, I still remember I, these, these things. I remember these very poignant, poignant moments, uh, uh, like that. I remember, um, you know, different, different events at different recording studios, people coming in, just the, the street life. The, that whole time was, a there was, a whether it was the club scene or whether you're in New York city at the time, uh, there was just, uh, seemed to be, so much more um, community, you, you know, there really wasn't the age of uh, smartphones, you know, and cell phones and uh, people were just, it was a, it was a different culture. You know, people were, people were out and about, you know, people were, you know, if they could, they were, they were out seeing music two or three times a week and, you know, bands were following other bands and uh, it was just, it was, uh, it was just a, a, a great sense of, uh, People were listening to other bands. They were, you know, watching other bands. They were seeing what seeing what they were doing. There was just a, a lot of uh, um, just resonance, I guess. You know, it was almost like uh, the, the the scene itself just created created a lot of uh, a lot of it, a lot of energy 
Um, and I, 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 that's, that would be, I think one thing that's, I mean, I don't know, I'm not out, out in the scene now, but, um, I know I've talked to other people and it's just, it's, it's not that anymore. Things, you know, things change. It was definitely a, a, a part of your life. It was yeah. like, it was like this is necessary. I need, to, <laughs> I need to go, you know, it was, it was just no doubt, you know, I need to go see some music and it's a very different time, a very different, uh, yeah. I, I miss it. I, I, I miss that sort of uh, community. I miss that shared, that shared stuff. Anyway, not to be not to be moribund or sad about it, but it's definitely uh, I, I definitely look back with uh, fondness at a lot of uh, a lot of those those times. Police say they want an explanation. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. 
So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. We, we were together um, for only about another uh, year, I think, after the second album came out. We were together for about five, five or six years, uh, The Rings. I know uh, at, the, at the time <clears throat> we broke up with the uh, management company uh, that we had, and we just were, just were really not sure what to do. They were strongly tied to uh, MCA, very tie, strongly tied to the management company. And, uh, and and also at the time, we'd heard that there were a couple of other labels that were interested in us as, as well. I remember the, the night we signed, uh, we were playing uh, at a club called The Paradise, and there were at least three labels there, possibly four. And I know that there were three three labels that were, uh, it was a great night. Uh, we had we played really well, and we had, uh, the place was packed, and it was packed with our fans, so we couldn't have asked uh, for anything better as far as, uh, you know, the an energy exchanged. And we played really well um, that night, uh, I remember. Um, that's not always the case. You, you hope to play really well. You hope things are going well. But uh, that night was uh, was a, a, a great night. Just sort of, uh, we knew uh, people to come to see us, and we knew that there was a good chance, um, you know, all the chips were on the table. We knew that there were there was interest from, like I said, at least uh, three three labels, but they the management company went with the uh, the label that they had uh, worked uh, with a couple of times before, and so it's like, nah, you start get these inklings. Like, are you is this in our interest or is this in your interest? Mm-hmm. You know, you start having these these feelings like that and uh, things. So we weren't particularly uh, 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 happy with our management company. Um, we were supposed to. There was supposed to have been money for tours that didn't happen. So anyway, we um, we disintegrated our uh, or broke, you know, our, broke our out of our contract, I should say. And at that point, it was like it was sort of like you're on your own uh, again because there was such a uh, there was uh, such a network of well, the record companies tied to the to, to tied to the management company, the management companies tied to. Uh, the promotion company, and it's you know you're just so, you're sort of here. You're the talent, but you're not you know you you're only a part of this uh, large machine. So uh, we we continued to play around, uh, uh, perform uh, in the area, but it 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 felt like it was going to be uh, you know where where we go from here. Do we try to get resigned? Do we try to uh, you know 
get another label. And again, it was like, that's what you're looking for. Do we, we need a label. We can't do this without a label. And um, I'm not saying that's how we sounded. It was sort of the accepted, uh, kind of the accepted norm at the time. Uh, again, if you contrast it with today's, totally different. No, no one's thinking about a label, you know. Uh, you know, I can't exist without a label. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous way to think. But at the time, it, it was it was not so. You know, it was sort of like seemed to be very important if you wanted to uh, hit hit a certain stature, you needed that support. Anyway, we we, we just were the feeling was that we just weren't uh, we weren't going anywhere, and we sort of uh, just just sort of stuck. For myself, I was uh, just kind of disappointed, and uh, you know, just a little just needed a break I, I i should say i just uh needed to do need, we needed a different direction we weren't quite sure uh what it was so we played uh i think we did a you know two or three months of ending gigs you know here there playing our favorite clubs and stuff and just a series of uh, farewell performances i guess and then uh, we we broke up and i know michael was uh was i think he he went to new york um, and immediately started uh, <clears throat> looking for jobs as a producer um, in New York City, and eventually ended up in uh, uh, Nashville. But at the time, I'm not sure. I think we just sort of t- took time off, but it wasn't too long. It was maybe a year later. Uh, Mark and I, we, you know, we we remained. I think we were probably the the, the oldest friends from, from the ring. So I mean, we were we were remaining in touch, and. Um, we uh, started started writing again, and uh, we we had a, a, a lot a lot of other music that we uh, hadn't quite finished, and so uh, we decided that there were some things that we weren't able to do uh, with the rings, and so we had a, a, a like a, a different idea. So after taking some time off and thinking about it, we uh, put together a, a seven-piece band. This band was called Bamboo Gang, and this had uh, Maddie Thurber, the drummer from the Rings. Uh, Mark, uh, and myself, and then we had uh, a couple of background singers, a keyboard player, and uh, a second guitarist. So we, we, we tried to get that band signed. Didn't have any luck doing that, but we again did a, a number of recordings. And then uh, we took a break from that. And I think the last uh, four years of my, uh, my playing music, I, there's a big 12-year period, 13-year period where I was playing music, um, the, the last sort of installation of uh, Mark, Maddie, and I, uh, again, we, we formed a band called the Wicker Men. And again, it was uh, Mark, myself, uh, Maddie, but we brought in a single uh, a, a bass player, and I, I just uh, sang lead at that point. And that, um, that, that band, um, a little bit, of, little bit of success. We were getting some uh, airplay around Boston. We actually put out a couple of uh, singles. Um, for that. Oh, when I hear you get up, I'm in 
end of that musical uh, chapter, or the end of my musical chapter playing live, was uh, Mark and Matt um, decided to go off to another venture, and uh, the bass player and I continued to work together, and we had got a new drummer and a new a new guitarist, and we played for another uh, years. And then um, at that point, it was... You know, after after a while, I was just like, well, I'm just sort of it, everything's good and all, but wasn't really uh, getting a little bit. I was I was getting married, and uh, it's just like okay, so sort of uh, I had to transition into something that was a little bit more, oh, shall we say, a little bit more stable. So that's when I uh, got into uh, film and uh, video video production uh, uh, professionally. And uh, that's what I've been. That's what I've been doing uh, ever since that. And teaching, I've been. Uh, I teach uh, sound design and audio production, and editing, uh, post production, at a college in Boston. So that's what I've been doing since uh, part time since uh, 2000. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and uh, let me see. Three years ago. Um, after many years, Mark and I got back together again and, uh, we said, you know, um, there's a, a couple of songs, um, that we'd like to, uh, actually like to re-record and, uh, Mark had continued writing and I'd continue writing. So we got back together again after, well, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And, uh, we put out a, uh, put out an album, which is, uh, called locating, uh, locating Raleigh. Uh, it's all, all one word. And, um, actually, um, you, and, uh, I think we, we released the, we released the, released it as a CD. Um, it's on SoundCloud, but, um, there's also a website locating Raleigh.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, uh, that has some, some rings material on it that we re recorded. And it also has some, uh, newer material that, uh, that we wrote and, and, uh, just to come full circle, um, we ended up producing all of that on our computers. Right. <laughs> Mark was on his computer and I was on my computer and we would just send files back and forth and, you know, then get together, uh, to work on them and to mix and stuff. But a lot of it was just done, you know, back and forth and, and definitely, uh, definitely, you know, just in our, in our home studio. So, sort of came, sort of come full circle with that, but. Yeah, you might you might get a kick out of uh, listening listening to uh, checking that out. There's some of the same some of the I think we did uh, at least two rings uh, re re recordings of rings tunes, uh, different different rearrangements. I think uh, did um, let me see, love's not safe. We did it as a ballad as uh, rather than a rocker, and we did a new version of uh, I Got My Wish, which was uh, on the first album. It seems like the second album, the rhythm rhythm method was was kind of a step up for the band. I was wondering, did you write those songs in between the two albums, or did you already have a lot of that material when you made the first album? I think a lot of that uh, material we had the material for the first album, but we were performing um, some of that material live already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, adding it to because uh, you know you. We we would bring things out and uh, so depending upon how the so we were always trying trying new stuff we try to like try a new song every time we got out uh, and see what kind of reception we got 
after it went through the uh, the, <laughs> the 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 after it went through the band process, you know, you which was because a lot of the songs wrote uh, didn't even you know didn't even make it uh, through the band. It's just like I'd bring in a song. It's just like. Um, and the only rule we had was whether Mark brought in a song or Mike brought in a song or I did was just like, okay, here's the changes. Here's what I'm thinking about. Um, if you could try to play it, you know, in that direction with that feel, um, just so I can hear it fully realized, um, rather than in my head playing, you know, on the bass or playing guitar, but when I can hear it as a full band and then, um, we'll take suggestions on how to re-edit it and re-change it. So, you know, every song coming in was going to go through, we knew it was going to go through a process. Um, but sometimes it just didn't, you know, if it didn't resonate with the rest of the band, then, you know, it, it sort of didn't fly. So that song would, you know, not that it was a bad song, but it just didn't make it, you know, for that time. So it was sort of pushed to the, pushed to the side. So we're always, uh, you know, bringing in songs and working on them. We'd bring out a song, see if it worked or not. Um, so there, there was always a like a, a sort of a, a list of songs, you know, after the first album, which we were out playing, but there are, there are songs like that we had, that we knew were getting a good reaction from the audience and from our, you know, our fans. And so we had, we probably had uh, five or six tunes that we, we knew were going to be on the album. Um, but we did write uh, four, four or five songs uh, for the album and the rhythm method, um, that happens at the end is actually a compilation of four of the different songs. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's a rhythm section from one, a drum machine from another, um, a, a, a push, uh, from yet another, and then uh, some uh, lyrics that, that I had written, again, that, that I wrote specifically uh, for that construct. So, um, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely uh, fresher. I mean, when you, when you think about uh, the the songs that finally made it on your first album, that, those are songs that you've been like, you know, playing and playing over and playing over for three or four, three or four years, you know. And uh, that that next album, you know, they were just a, a lot fresher. And uh, I think I think you sort of bring a, 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 a you know a, a lot of energy to uh, to new sound, you know, because they're they're more exciting. That you've been playing this stuff here, but when write new stuff and Hey, this uh, this is the best song I've ever. Written. You know, you're very inspired. You know, if you're in that if you're in that mode where you're writing, and so you want to you know you want to be putting out the newer stuff. And I think you bring a lot of energy to it. You a lot a lot of the the songs um, they they went through uh, they went through quite a, a quite a bit of changes uh, you know over the years before we even got them out, out to play and. Uh, you don't you don't really have that you know on your second or third album because there's less time to you know be you know go take them out on the road and you know go through that changes so i think i think maybe they sound a little bit fresher maybe you just have this uh you know you just attack it with a lot of gusto so uh there's i think there's a definite uh definite different feel to the to the second album i i i liked i mean i like the uh, the, the the album quite a bit but uh, we got absolutely no uh, support from the record company uh, or, or promotion at that time. Just as the album was coming out, we had dissolved our relationship with our management company. Okay. And it was just like, water, here it is, you know. But they did, they did uh, I, would say, I would say they did next to nothing to uh, promote the album. 
uh, at that point. I mean, they were out of they were out of contract. I would thought that they uh, they would have, but it was just you know it that's where it was at. So um, which was a which was a shame because uh, it was a lot, a lot of I thought there was a lot of good music in that album. Yeah, that's too bad because it does. It seems like there's a couple songs on there that could have been hit songs. That's something else I wanted to ask you about. It's just the the genre of power pop and where do you think the rings fit in? Did you feel like at the time that you were part of a movement because there were so many bands, you know, right at that time, 79 to like 81, there were so many bands in that kind of, the lines are blurred between punk, new wave, power pop, all of that, but the rings definitely mm -hmm. fit into that, that group of bands yeah. that there were just so many bands at the time, a lot of records that came out right in those few years that kind of no, fit true. into this. Yeah, kind that's of, true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I, and, and again, at the, at that point, like I, I'm, I mean, I, I never would have called us, 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 uh, punk. I mean, Mark would have said we're a rock and roll band, but I knew some of the, uh, some of the things that, uh, some of my influences at, at the top, at, at the side, I mean, is is Iggy Pop new? Is is Iggy, is Iggy Pop punk? Is Iggy Pop new wave? No, but he, you know, you know, coming from the Stooges, he was right at the forefront of, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of that movement. So it's yeah, those those label labels are, labels are kind of tricky. 
but I never, I never thought of uh, the, the Rings as as punk. I thought uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely more. Um, uh, I don't want to say power pop, but definitely, I, I, I felt I, I felt comfortable with new wave. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because it was so nebul- so opaque and so nebulous. Like, where would you, what would you, well, let me ask, I'll throw a question back to you. How would you, where would you put the cars? Yeah, the cars were, I guess, a new wave, but, um, yeah, but re- yeah, I mean, it's obvious that the rings would be compared to the cars, but I think that's more than anything because you're also from Boston. But, right. Um, yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, some of the some of the production. I guess I think of like the production and the and the the choices that were made. Like when you had uh, uh, just what I did, and you know you've got something like um, you know the the background chorus is multi-tracked. You know, yeah. you got all this multi-tracking going on with these huge background choruses and yeah. these um, kind of like kind of like Queen. You know, kind of like Queen, and uh, that to me is very very power popish. Although. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I think they were, they were happy to be, uh, you know, well, I don't think, I think they sort of broke any sort of labels anyway, but they, they came out in that new wave, new wave, uh, genre. So, um, but I guess, um, I never really, I, I never, uh, I never self-defined, uh, that we were, were that we were, po- that we were power pop. Um, but, um, we definitely, I mean, we were definitely going for, um, that over over the top energy, but again, labels are labels are a little bit uh, are a little bit tricky, uh, especially when you're thinking thinking about your thinking about yourself. You know, the records came out in 1981, which is kind of the prime time for that. And also, most of the bands were the something. So there were all these bands oh. that were you know. So the rings. Oh yeah, fit the. In there. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the the. I know even when, the the. Yeah. <laughs> When I've made like power pop compilations and stuff, I think the ring song I usually I've picked is "My Kind of Girl," is the one okay. that I've put in there. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I want to thank 
Bob Gifford for joining me and sharing his stories. And now to play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. I'm going to leave you with another great song from the second Rings album called The Rhythm Method. This is a song called You Can Never Say It.